Hey, good morning. How are you? <laughs> Very good. Richard, say hello. How are we doing, my man? You okay? Hey, good, man. Yeah, how are you? Yes, good, good. I did just reply to the message you sent on Insta. Apologies, a little hmm. bit delayed, but yeah, feel Not free to, to live stream. Feel free to live stream by all means. The more, the awesome. more we spread the message, the better, isn't it? So, yeah, just, so, yeah. for, just for the viewers out there, uh, Doctor Chief, if you want to know if he if he could stream this on on his YouTube, but by all means, you know, as uh, uh, Stephen just said, this is a free event. It's educational. We're trying to spread the word on Carnival. So yeah, by all means, feel free to. Um, to, to share and and, uh, and stream away. It's not a fundraiser. That's it's uh, not I just fundraiser. want to make sure everyone knows that. It's, it's nothing to do with that. It's just to do a 24-hour carnival conversation. Uh, as you can see from Richard's backdrop, you can talk about keto. In fact, that's the great thing about carnivore. Um, actually, we're not very much like a cult. If you want to have an avocado, you're not going to be sacked by the carnivore police. Um, but we will be talking mainly carnivore, but we will be talking low-carb and keto if you want to talk about it. Um, it's 3 p.m. in Australia. Australia in Perth, where uh, Dr. Anthony Chafee is, and I'm going to give him a little introduction, unless he wants to do it himself. Oh, wh- whatever, whatever you prefer. Happy, happy for whatever. Ah, it's, it's, you see, this is why you're great, Anthony, because you're so laid back. Um, but for people that don't know him, firstly, you really should, and secondly, he's a medical doctor, formal professional rugby player, and he's giving a fresh leaf lease of life to thousands of people around the world by professionally helping them shed weight and optimize health without any medication and helping to revitalize their lives and activity. So yeah, an MD in medical science, uh, right? So I've written this long introduction but i think if you don't know him i'll be very surprised and it will come out former professional rugby player lots of good things um to say about dr chafee so uh fire away rich have you got any questions for him um i think we've got lots lined up haven't we um have you got the list there uh, i have got that, yeah yeah surely yeah. you've got something you want to ask to kick us off yeah. um do you want to kick off with one of the questions well, well, yeah, let's, let's, do a very, let's do a very basic question. I've got some very detailed ones, but um, so, Dr. Chafee, why why do you think carnivore is the optimal way to eat? Well, I just think that's it's because that's our biologically appropriate species-specific diet, like any animal in the wild. Uh, they have very, very, we have very specific dietary requirements, just like a zebra, giraffe, or any other animal would have. And, and when you don't meet those requirements, you can get very sick. Or when you're eating things that you don't have the specific, um, you know, bioengineering to detoxify and eliminate different sorts of uh, indwelling toxins, you can get very sick from that. So animals in the wild, they eat very, very specific diets, humans included. And we've been eating a very specific diet throughout uh, you know, our origins as humans. And we have diverged from that, especially in the last you know, 50 to 100 years. And we have seen a marked decline in our health during that time. Now, people may say, well, our, our average life expectancy is actually going up. This means everyone's getting healthier. Uh, that's not true. We're actually getting much, much worse. The prevalence of these diseases is getting far more worse, far, far worse. And um, in, in fact, the life expectancy uh, was an issue before because of infant mortality. That's the issue. And these, these uh, you know, sort of more uh, primitive uh, cultures, if you want to call them that, that eat a more hunter-gatherer lifestyle, really just a hunter-gatherer, a hunter lifestyle. Um, you know, they say, well, you know, their life expectancy is really 60 years, like with the Inuit. Um, well, no, actually, that's that's because the mortality rate is actually very, very high. And when you're out in the in the Arctic Circle, uh, thousands of miles away from a major university hospital um, or or any sort of uh, uh, you know uh, maternity care center. You're you're not going to be able to get the care that you need if your child is is sick or hurt and has all these other sorts of issues that that they can run into in those extreme circumstances. And so kids die, unfortunately, and that's one of the ways that we've increased our life expectancy. But those people in those situations, when dying of old age, actually go way longer than we do uh, in a lot of cases. And so, you know, in some. Uh, cases far longer to the point that, that people don't believe them. You have some, you know, a uh, 102 year old lady uh, in the Nanette uh, tribe that are still herding caribou and out there, you know, working 14 hour days in the snow and the tundra. And she's like, yeah, I'm 102. And they're like, 
bullshit. That can't be true. She looks like she's 60. Well, she looks like she's 60 because metabolically she is. Uh, and she's as healthy or more healthy than 60-year-old people in America or the UK. And that's simply because she's more metabolically healthy. Uh, but we know as geneticists, we're supposed to live 120 years on average, meaning that if you just stay out of your own way and don't mess up, you should make it to 120 years without doing anything special. So why are we dying in our 60s and 70s? Why is a life expectancy of 78? Oh, that's really good. That's good. No, that's horrible. That's middle-aged, right? And so these people are actually living that long. And um, and if you eat the way you're supposed to eat, you know you can you can do that as well and be healthy as you're doing it. Yeah, that that's brilliant. See what a great answer. So. Um... We do have some questions from people. Uh, this one is from uh, Joe. So I'm going to put the question hopefully up on the screen. <laughs> Take a lot of time. Paleo with a lot of meat, 10 years plus, carnival one month, uh, 38 years. Um, this is one month. But anyway, he's 38 years, six foot three, 195 pounds. I did this for autoimmune issues, not weight loss. I have always been lean. Tips for gaining mass on carnivore? Um, yeah, well, you just need to eat. You need to eat more meat, and you need to uh, work out. So if you're if you're lifting weights, if you're um, you know sprinting, doing anaerobic workouts, you're going to be stimulating your your muscle growth. You're also going to be stimulating the production of testosterone and growth hormone and suppressing cortisol. Whereas if you're doing a lot of cardio, it goes the other way around. So growth hormone, testosterone gets suppressed in men, and cortisol levels go up. So that's the the antithesis of laying down healthy lean body mass. Um, and that's pretty much it. You know, you, you need to stimulate your body. You need to stimulate your muscles to grow. And then you need to provide the, the energy and nutrients that are required. A lot of people under eat on a carnivore diet. It's very easy to do that. Uh, you just feel very satiated and very satisfied. So you have to keep eating until meat stops tasting good. If you're still getting that positive feedback and your body's saying, hey, we want some more of that, listen to it. Keep keep giving it more. You might have to eat twice a day. Uh, don't force yourself, but just definitely give your body what it needs. And, uh, you know, I'd see if uh, Richard agrees with that or has anything to add. <laughs> yeah, I was just going to add in that uh, you and I recently recorded um, – a podcast on athletic performance, which I think included yeah. building lean lean mass. Um, yeah, hundred uh, percent. I'm a firm believer in around sort of one gram uh, of protein per pound of lean body mass, and it's the activation of mTOR uh, we need to uh, to elicit this um, uh, muscle protein synthesis. So we need stimulation, uh, as Dr. Chafee says. We need to be training, uh, but we need adequate adequate protein. The mTOR reset is also very important. So um, what we can do being keto or carnivore is we can tap into this mTOR reset. So typically what people from a carbohydrate high uh, background tend to do is consume carbohydrates all day long. This will elicit an mTOR activation, which is continuous throughout the day because these, these guys are eating every two hours. But where we benefit from is the mTOR reset. Uh, which typically takes about four hours. So if we were to train fasted, for example, now this is, is a, a dream situation which doesn't fall in or fit to everyone's lifestyle. But if we were to train, for example, uh, weight trainer, 8 a.m., we elicit mentor activation. Um, so this is one spike. We could eat four hours later. Uh, this is another mTOR activation. Four hours following that and four hours following that. Now, we need three three grams of leucine in order to activate mTOR, which works at anywhere between 30 to 50 grams of, of meat, depending on the source. Um, I'd be... Uh, I'd preference towards 50 to, to, to make sure. But doing this and consuming your last meal around 8 p.m. would allow you to fast technically for 16 hours and elicit four M2 activations, which is um, four times more than a typical bodybuilder who's consuming food every two hours. Uh, and this is what uh, I've put down to my body's ability to gain mass so quickly early on in my career when I began bodybuilding. Uh, but quality nutrients, red meat preference, people tend to, to preference chicken. We need protein and fat, Protein and fat elicits uh, higher protein uh, muscle protein synthesis. Um, protein alone can do this with the three grams of leucine, but studies, uh, as uh, Dr. Chafee and I highlighted in this uh, podcast, um, will elicit the, the response. But to further elicit muscle protein synthesis, we need protein with fat. We need to consume the protein as nature intended. Carbohydrates do not further elicit. Uh, muscle protein synthesis, but protein and fat does. Protein and fat is essential. So if you want to build muscle, protein and fat. 
particularly from red meat. <laughs> yeah. yeah I think oh, I was that, gonna... oh, sorry, yeah. go on. Yeah, I was going to say, for those that don't really understand why maybe adding fat, there is an added bonus to fat, and that's production of bile. If you keep your bile production up, believe it or not, that's not just helping absorb fat. That is definitely helping to absorb amino acids. So some people are a little little um, unsure about why we're saying fatty meat sometimes, because it's so ingrained that you've got to avoid fat, and all you're going to do is you're not going to gain muscle. You're just going to get fat, and that's, that's not the case, um, unless you eat way too much fat and you go beyond your satiety which is is which is really tough that's the other thing it's very tough to overeat when it comes to fat it's not like carbohydrates i think the minnesota prison study which uh, which pretty much proved that you can overeat by carbohydrates that was an experiment with humans you know a captive audience you know no pun intended where they could eat half of the prison could eat as much as they like with carbohydrates and the other the other half could eat fats and proteins and i think the fats and proteins group they they overate overate the sort of estimated calorie intake for a day by about 800 but the carbohydrate goop it was about 10 times as much so it's much easier to overeat on carbs so don't be don't be, don't fear the fat that's what i was going to say yeah it's also, it's also very difficult to absorb it as well you know if you eat a lot more uh you do need that bile to absorb the fat you can you can still absorb some but it's it's not as much you know, it's a very small percentage you know anywhere from like 10 to 15 percent of the fat past the bile um, that you can absorb. So you can absorb that. You can absorb if, you, if your body doesn't, it runs out of bile. I mean, that's how much fat your body wants, right? So that's how much bile it's made for. Uh, and then after that, you can still absorb some, usually like medium chain fatty acids are a bit easier for your body to absorb without bile, but uh, it's not that much. And so you really have to overdo it. I mean, first of all, it's not going to taste good. You're going to be sort of fighting yourself. And then you're also going to get you know, 85 to 90% of that fat uh, being excreted, which is going to give you explosive diarrhea and that's not going to be fun. And so you're going to want to like just naturally pull back on that. You can do it, uh, but it's difficult. It's easier to, 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 um, you know, eat more protein, things like that, the lean sort of stuff, but you actually, you you sort of have a limit on the amount of, of fat you can absorb as well, but you can certainly overeat on, on pretty much anything. It's just more difficult, much more difficult to do on a carnivore diet because first and foremost, it just starts tasting bad and it's just start, you start, stop enjoying it. Um, and so you want to stop. Whereas with carbs, you get in that carb cycle where it's, Oh my God, I'm hungry. I have to eat. I have to eat. I have to eat. And you eat and you're hungry an hour later because now your blood sugar's dropped and, you know, you can't stimulate um, lipolysis or proteolysis because your insulin's up, right? So uh, that's very easy to overeat as well. Um, I was going to ask uh, Richard, you know, we were talking about those two spikes in mTOR. So you work out and you get that mTOR hit and then you want to wait four hours and then eat a big meal. So, you know, you know, there's always the, the, um, the idea that you want to eat directly after, you know, a big workout and hit that, you know, anabolic window. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, the anabolic window. Yeah, it's it's a myth. It, 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 again, my opinion in regards to the research that I've carried out, um, I'm, I'm sure you've come to the same conclusion. Um, so this is in regards to research and uh, personal experience. As long as we are consuming adequate amounts of protein throughout the day, that anabolic window is is a myth. Um, it certainly didn't hinder me, and it allowed me in order to build lean mass and at an incredible rate. So to put this into perspective, um, you know, somebody who is supplementing with performance enhancing drugs, which is rampant within within the bodybuilding community. Uh, and, and this is the reason that I came away from it. I'm not, I'm not against it. I'm not against anyone who, who does. So I work with people who, who supplement, uh, you know, this is personal preference, but this is something that I didn't want to do. Um, but typically, they can gain lean mass around uh, 0.8 pounds per month, which is around 10, 10 pounds of lean body mass per year. Yet, when you listen to people on these YouTube channels, they'll say they've 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 gained 90k of lean mass in a month, which is just ridiculous. Yes, you may have gained 30k of, of weight, but you certainly haven't gained 30 kilograms of lean mass. It's just absolutely ridiculous. Even Ronnie Coleman, towards the end of his career, was saying that he used to gain maybe between four to five pounds and heavily supplemented so if you can gain 10 pounds of lean mass a year you you are right at the top end um i gained on average for the first four years around eight pound of lean mass um some some years you could argue it, it was 10 which is right at the top end and, and i put this down to the diet that i was living not just because i'm eating highly nutrient dense foods as in and red meats which um uh, contain 
fats as nature intended, superior amino profile, high levels of leucine, which is the anabolic amino acid, um, but also... Um, you know, we're devoid of things like grains uh, and, and other. So quite early on, I was predominantly keto. I, w- I was eating um, lots of greens. Um, I, I used to do my spinach smoothies with my turmeric, um, which. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, we, we now know that, uh, you know, that this is 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 far from optimal and, and probably quite damaging. But that's where I began my journey. But I was uh, abstaining heavily from grains, which are high in phytic acid and lectins, which block the absorption of these nutrients, amongst other things. Um, and further down my career and education, you know, I learned that a lot of these vegetables also contain, you know, phytohemagglutinin and uh, another phyto, uh, um, phytic acids, uh, uh, another toxins which prevent the body from absorbing nutrients these foods are anti-nutrients so the more that i gravitate into um an animal-based lifestyle a meat-based lifestyle the easier that it seemed for me to build muscle which goes against everything that the typical bodybuilder will, will do because bodybuilder diet is like pasta and chicken so you've got the lean chicken without the fat uh, mm-hmm. and then you've got um, the lectins and phytic acid from the pasta um which is absolutely counterintuitive and it just makes you wonder um how somebody who is genetically predispositioned to pack on muscle, uh, you know, would do on a carnivore lifestyle. I'm not a big person. I'm five foot nine. Um, you know, I'm, I'm quite short. I, I think uh, I'm not big in regards to frame. Um, and I used to win on condition. So it was my... Um, almost an illusion on stage in regards to body composition and uh, and, and, and body fat percentage. Um, and that, that's what allowed me to, to achieve the things that I could. But my myostatin levels are naturally high within my body, which myostatin is a protein in the body that prevents you from building muscle. It's almost your body's safety mechanism tells you that, whoa, now you need to stop building muscle. Um, a lot of these muscle you know beasts on stage these days were heavy supplement did have low myostatin um and perhaps even take myostatin inhibitors uh but it would be interesting to find somebody who is early on in their career who is genetically predispositioned to pack on muscle to live the carnivore lifestyle and actually see if we can achieve you know these feats of um uh, of uh, these mass monsters that do you know supplement it and i believe that we can um you know, the things that we can achieve on this lifestyle go far beyond any expectation that you can possibly imagine unless you've lived the lifestyle. You know, the three of us know the benefit from, from doing so and from living this lifestyle. And again, that's why we're here today is to spread this word, isn't it? Um, you know, we've gone off track, I think, with, with the bodybuilding thing again. But it, yeah. um, this comes back down to health and well-being, isn't it? Um, which brings me back to to a question for you know for for Dr. Chafee. Um, I'm guessing there are lots of people on you know on the show now who are already living the lifestyle. But what would your tips be for adopting the lifestyle? If you were starting from scratch, um, would you recommend somebody to begin going full carnivore? Would you increment it? Um, is 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 it okay to do both, or depending on the type of person you are, uh, and what would you what would you implement, uh, you know, in order to, to to make this progression at least into becoming carnivore? Well, I'm, I'm I my my sort of frame of of mind is is more of one of uh, you know just go after it. You know, if you've made a decision, strike while the iron's hot, just do it. And uh, and so that's what works for me. That's when I decided that that you know plants were toxic, and my professor said you know plants are trying to kill you. I'm like, right, I'm out, and I'm just not going to eat any plants after that. Uh, that works for me, uh, and that works for a lot of people. I find that that a lot of people when they get that idea in their head and they want to they want to do it, like okay, yeah, I'm going to do this. It's really, really beneficial if they just do it right then, you know, as, as sales people will tell you, you know, like a car salesman, someone comes on the lot and they're looking at a car and they're sort of interested in something. If, if they say, well, I'll think about it and I'll come back 95% of the time, they do not come back. And so you really need to get on board when your mind is like, Ooh, do I want to do this? You need to do it. Because most often that's when you'll have success. Now, there, there are some people that are just, they're not like, oh, I want to do this. They're like, oh, God, I don't know. I mean, I, I want to, but, you know, obviously that's someone coming at a different place. They're like, okay, why don't, why don't we ratchet things down and, uh, and sort of, you know, and, and sort of ease our way into this? Um, 
you know, um, Maria Emmerich said that her, herself when she, she sort of came around this, um, you know, she came to keto first, uh, and was keto for a very long time and is, is really mostly carnivore now, but she, you know, um, you know, has, has some sort of plant stuff here and there, but predominantly animal based. She was saying that the type of person she was, if she's just said, yeah, you can only eat meat. She'd be like, absolutely not. You know, that doesn't give me the options. I'm, I'm not going to be able to cook. I'm not going to be able to use any ingredients, like not going to do it. Um, and so you'll, you'll meet people like that. You know, I meet people in a special circumstance. People come to me when they want to do this. And they, and they want some help and advice to get on this, or they're sick and they have a lot of health issues. Those are highly motivated people because, you know, they are in a, in a tight spot and I can say, look, this, I think this will help you. They go, okay, look, whatever you suggest, I'm, I'm just going to do it, you know? And so I find that those people have a really good success, really just going, you know, hammering at home, going full on. You see this also in um, smoking cessation and, and other sorts of drugs and alcohol. It, people do have a better time going cold turkey and not easing off. You know, you have those people that oh, I've been cutting down smoking. I'm trying to quit and they're trying to quit for 20 years, you know, and then they're, and they're smoking more than they were before. And people go on methadone to help them try and quit heroin. And 20 years later, they're on a higher dose of methadone and still doing heroin. So it's like, you know, if you, if you just go cold at, at some point, if even if you wean down, eventually you will have to stop. Right. And so why can't that just be today? Right. Um, so I find that that works well. Uh, and if someone does decide that that's what they want to do, then um, I think you, I think you go all in, you know, you, you toss out all the food in your house. If you can, you know, if you're, if you're have that luxury, you know, sometimes people are, are living with people that have no interest in following their footsteps. But, you know, if you're in the position that, you know, you're on your own or your family is behind you and willing to do this with you, just throw it all out. You know, you know, throw the food out of the pantry, throw the stuff out of the, the fridge, give it to someone that you don't like and want to eat poison, you know, whatever you want to do. You know, you can give it to them and get rid of it and uh, you don't need it in the house. You know, if you're if you're going to try to quit smoking or quit drinking, you don't just leave a bunch of cigarettes and booze around the house, you know, for two reasons. One, you, you want that out of there. You don't want the temptation out of sight, out of mind. Uh, and also, number two, you know, if you're keeping it, well, well I spent money on that. I don't want to throw it away. And the next part of that sentence that you don't say is when I decide to go back to smoking or drinking, right? So you've already decided that you're going to go back to this. You've already set yourself up for failure. So you get rid of it, throw all that crap out. When the people go, well, I just bought a whole bunch of groceries and, you know, and, and I'll use those up and then I'll do it. They never do it. They never do. And again, that's a, that's that 5% of people that actually come back to the, the car dealership. So um, it's, it, it's much better to strike while the iron iron is hot. No, you know, if you've said, okay, this is what I want to do. You are never going to be more committed to that. And than that moment right then. So you need to put yourself into a position that you can have as much success as possible. If you are going to say, okay, well, I'm going to ease my way into this. That's what's going to work better for me. Fine. But you need to have that in a graduated manner. You need to put, you need to get a calendar and mark a day today. I'm cutting out all carbs, grains, sugars, alcohol, all of them, you know, the next week you put an X, I'm cutting out all seeds, legumes, and uh, oxalate, you know, high oxalate foods. The next week, you know, you're cutting out something else. And by, you know, week three, week four, it's like absolutely no plants, nothing but meat after this day. All right. And you need, you need those hard checkpoints. Oh, sometime next week I'll stop. You know, the diet starts tomorrow. The diet starts Monday. That's the, you know, it's the, the cliche sort of thing. It's always tomorrow, you know, I'll, you know, tomorrow, tomorrow, I'll love you tomorrow. Right. It's, it's only a day away, but it never comes, you know, it's, you know, it's only today. So you need to mark on your calendar when that's going to happen and you need to action it. And, uh, and you know, you're only, you're only hurting yourself. You know, it's, it's, it's yourself that you have to hold yourself, you, you hold yourself accountable to yourself. Sometimes it's easier to be held accountable by other people. Like, well, I don't want to let, you know, this person down. Sometimes that's easier. So sometimes you can do it with, you know, your spouse or, you know, a boyfriend, girlfriend, your kids. Just be like, hey, why don't we, why don't we do this together? And then you keep each other strong. Hey, you know, let's not eat that. Oh, let's do this. So let, oh, how about we, instead of doing that, let's go to the gym together. Let's go on a, go on a walk. 
or let's you know get a steak or something like that. So you can you can have that support as well. But I I personally like the cold turkey just get after it method. Yeah, I think there's um, there's two kinds of people, isn't it? There's step change and incremental change. Um, I've always seen myself as a step change, which is basically all or nothing. Um, but I must admit that I did gravitate into this slowly because uh, I wasn't familiar with carnival per se. Um, you know, Pete Doe came up to me in regards uh, into the early stages of my journey. Um, and I almost gravitated into it thinking that I was doing things correctly. And I learned extra things as I went along, even, even until recently. Um, so I've been keto for 10 11 years which carnival is a ketogenic state by the way mm. so people tend to different differentiate between the two if you're in if you're carnival you're ketogenic um but there's different variations isn't it um no i i i became carnival or what i regard as carnival maybe four or five years ago but even then i was still consuming things um that contained Plants. I mean, I, I've been a lover of coffee, for example, until recently. Um, so I mean, it's only in recent times have I taken that. But it's through education because you, even though it sounds very simple, coffee comes from a plant. You don't actually think about it until, because it's not something you're eating. It's a drink. So, again, it's these education pieces. But I think it's an important point that you made there in regards to family members because um, – a lot of clients that I work with find it incredibly difficult when they do this alone because their partner is consuming uh, a takeaway or some fast food or some junk. They will buy this food and it's in the cupboard um, and this food calls to you in the night. It screams to you because it, it, food addiction is a real thing. Now, I did um, a podcast recently with Dr. Jen Anwin, who's coming on uh, later this afternoon. Um, in regards to food addiction, now, food addiction is not recognized in the UK, at least, as an addiction. So we, we have gambling addiction, alcohol addiction, drug addiction, but food addiction, which is in my opinion, the most damaging is not recognized as an addiction. But this is uh, incredibly important because it affects the catecholaminergic neurotransmitters, which is these neurotransmitters that affect the way that we, we think and feel. It affects things like dopamine, serotonin. And when we're not getting these hits that we need uh, in our brain, we begin to search them from other sources. Um, you know, we, we are... Uh, we've evolved to chase these dopamine hits. And if we are not receiving them through the foods we eat or we, we're not receiving the correct signal, we will look for these hits through foods that we consume. And typically these are sugary treats. So it is incredibly difficult to come away because food is an addiction. Uh, and I think a lot of people don't give that the, the recognition that it deserves. It, it is incredibly hard. So to do this alone without the support of a family member can be incredibly difficult. So what I find is that um, a lot of clients I work with tend to like the incremental approach. Um, the people who do better are, are the families that do it together, who, as you say, completely remove you know, all that literally pour the seed oils in the bin or, or or down the sink. I don't know if you're allowed to do that. Can you can you pour seed oils on the sink? Because it's not a bad, yeah. you know. Uh, Might be like a hazardous waste sort of thing, which should yeah. tell you something about, uh, you know, putting it in your body. You know, exactly. it's yeah. dangerous chemical disposal only. Then, um, yeah, you definitely shouldn't be eating that nonsense. And that's yeah. exactly what it is. Yeah, high in an oxidized omega six called linoleic acid, mm -hmm. um, detrimental to, to to our health. Which brings me on to not from me by the way uh, just behind the scenes just to tell uh tell you what i've been saying a few people have said to me why are you doing 24 hours i said well have you ever heard richard speak you need 24 hours anthony's the same uh, uh, I yeah. oh, no. disagree. We, uh, yeah, I, I think uh, I think we could talk about uh, keto carnival for uh, uh, for twenty four hours. hours. <laughs> so uh, yeah, um, I just wanted to add a little bit. That I tell all my clients is other ways of eating tend to be very negative, like don't eat this, don't eat that, don't do this. When you come over to carnival, I think it's better for your subconscious mind. One of the things is to be positive. Don't wake up going. Uh, 
I'm not going to have ice cream today. Wake up saying today I'm going to eat some protein, today I'm going to have some fat, today I'm going to be carnivore. And if you think in a positive frame of mind, and I know it's corny, but uh, if you tell your brain not to think about pink elephants, you have to think about pink elephants to do it. So it's a little tip there is just to sort of be very positive and um, think in a more positive way. So today I'm going to have beef, today I'm going to have bacon, eggs, butter, that's going to be a great day. And I just think that can help people. And what you said about friends and family, uh, I've actually dealt with two people who are having big arguments with their partner. And if you're wanting to eat this way, and sadly, one of them actually is refusing to buy the food. So they they become quite individual when it comes to food. And my advice was just stick at it. You will become the example. And it's very tough to say to somebody in six weeks or six months, hey, you know, you've lost a ton of weight, you're off your meds, please don't eat like this. Because if that person truly wants to be with you, they're going to love that. So, yeah, um, if you don't mind, I'll just do a couple of the pre-submitted questions because people have been kind enough to do that and we've got tons in the comments i am trying to get to them all but these answers are brilliant so here's a nice easy one this is from roxana um do you feel that dairy puts weight on it can yeah i mean especially like milk and things like that where you're going to have uh you know enough lactose to raise your insulin it's going to put you into a fat storage metabolism as, as opposed to a fat burning metabolism and uh some people have an inflammatory res- well everyone's going to have a bit of an inflammatory response to casein especially a1 uh casein proteins and uh, some people have a very large uh, inflammatory reaction to that you're going to you know retain water weight and uh, it's going to sort of mess you up in other ways especially if you have autoimmune issues um but Regardless of all that, this is just something that, that we see. You know, we see a lot of people stall when they're using dairy. So, um, you know, people get it. You know, you hear the carnivore diet, and you know, you you just eating meat and drinking water, and like dairy, ooh, it's a bit of a gray area. You know, yeah, you can have some of it as a condiment, put like a slice of cheese on on a burger patty or something like that. But really, what you're eating, you're supposed to be eating meat. They hear that, oh, great, I can eat dairy, and they they just eat like just an absolute ton of dairy, and uh, and then they're just almost like, oh, I'm not really losing weight. In fact, I'm like putting on weight. You know. I lost like 20 pounds at first and now I put on like, you know, 15 pounds. Like, well, what the hell is going on? You ask them what they're eating and you're just eating just, just piles of dairy. Um, you know, our body chases nutrients, doesn't taste calories, you know? And so you, you need different nutrients from meat. Dairy is not a complete nu- nutrition source. And so, um, you know, especially like pasteurized sort of things. And um, so, you know, your, your body's still going to need like the different nutrients from meat. And then you're going to be eating meat. A lot of people eat this, basically the same amount of meat that they do without the dairy, but they're also eating the dairy. And so you're just getting more, more than you need. And uh, it goes back to that sort of difficult to overeat, but you can do it sort of uh, part of, of this equation. And that's what, um, what I've noticed a lot of people when they're stalling, they're either still using artificial sweeteners uh, or dairy or maybe both and uh, you know some of those every now and then you know your body can work through it but it is something your body has to work through and so um you know i do find that people have difficulty with dairy and can can definitely put on weight or uh and not not good weight you know you're not putting on muscle mass you know you people will put on a bit more fat or, or find it more difficult to lose fat there are other things in the equation too though you know when people are working out lifting weights especially uh guys that get really you know into the gym because they feel so much better and they're just lifting weights you know four days a week and they're like oh i'm stalling i'm not really losing losing weight well that's because you're putting on muscle and the muscle is offsetting the fat that you're losing so you know just because you're not losing as much weight as you want you know it may not be uh because you're not losing fat it may be because you're putting on muscle as well but uh definitely something to keep in mind you can definitely eat you know you can definitely run into problems eating too much dairy absolutely and too much being more than a very little bit, you know, it's like more than a condiment. Uh, you know, if you're, if you have a cheese platter and you're just eating chunks of cheese too much, you know, if you're, if you're drinking, you know, multiple glasses of milk a day too much, you know, and so you just, as a condiment to meat, you shouldn't have dairy on its own. Yeah, and a simple, a simple thing about dairy is as well, it's odd, the odd chain fatty acids. You always end up with a free carbon fragment, which is a substrate that the liver loves to make glucose out of. So that's uh, one of the things I say about the, the dairy. Richard, you wanted to jump in there, didn't you? Yeah, only really quickly. I mean, it's, uh, I look at, I know this sounds stupid, I, I quite often look at cheese and dairy as almost two separate things because of the way that it's made and treated with the enzymes, ren and mm. things. I think milk 
is highly problematic. Um, what I find is that real cheese, a lot of people uh, can get on with it in small quantities. Um, milk for me is, is the biggest issue. And what I find and see in the Facebook groups uh, at the moment, uh, and in my group in particular, somebody mentioned about A2 milk, um, uh, you know, and raw milk being okay and things. And it, it is considerably better. But what many people don't understand is that it still contains casein and it will still contain, um, uh, it will still cause intestinal permeability. So even, um, and this comes back down to, um, uh, the, 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 oh my God, what's the, what's the tribe uh, in, in Africa? Thank goodness, it's, um, yeah. So is it the Hanza? No, it wasn't the Hadza. Um, it wasn't the Hadza tribe. Um, yeah, I can't remember the tribe, but basically one of the... Tri- what was that? Masai and yes, the Masai. The Masai. So the Masai and the Akakuyu are neighbouring tribes, aren't they? Um, and the Akakuyu who are, who are uh, vegan or you know uh, predominantly vegetarian or vegan-based, and we have the Masai who are meat-based. Um, the Masai outperformed the Akakuyu on every health level, bone mineral density, muscle mass, height, strength, age, uh, everything, apart from one metric, which was intestinal permeability, and that's because they still con- uh, consumed unpasteurized A2 milk. So uh, for me, milk across the board is, is a no-no. Um, mm. Even the A2, although A2 is better, but then I, I almost put cheese into a different category whereas you know i think it's okay to consume in in moderation but as you say you know it still contains uh casein morphine which is highly addictive more so in milk so uh, you know there's lots of reasons to abstain from from the milk but i do often put cheese into into a, a slightly different subsection i do consume cheese uh, real cheese uh, not an awful lot of it, but uh, you know, it, it is. Uh, it's not something I can consume every day, but it is something I'll consume. You know, uh, as you say, as uh, as a condiment, isn't it? But it wouldn't make up a meal. I wouldn't, <laughs> you know. But um, but yeah, I don't know what your thoughts are on that, Anthony. But it, uh, I'd almost put them into into two separate yeah. categories to a to a degree, you know. No, I, I think you're right, you know, and, and cheese is, you know, from, especially like, you know, traditionally like fermented and, 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 uh, grown cheeses or manufactured cheeses, whatever it is, you know, those, those are very different, you know, as, as, um, you know, a friend, uh, Dr. Bill Schindler talked about, and he, you know, he's a professor of paleoanthropology and, and archeology span and, and, you know, he studies this sort of stuff and, um, and, uh, and he was saying that, you know, when, when babies are drinking breast milk, it goes into their stomach and actually turns, it curdles and actually turns into cheese. And then they sort of break that down and, and eat it. So that's sort of that same process, you know, when, you, when you're adding sort of different sort of chemicals uh, to uh, basically turn milk into cheese, that's sort of what you're doing. Then you're eating that. It's much more bioavailable. It's much better for you. Um, babies are different than, than adults, obviously, but... Um, but it's, I, I would I definitely think put those in two different categories. The fermented dairies are going to be fermented. Anything's are going to be better than the non-fermented anything. So, uh, except for maybe meat, I don't, I don't think you need to go rotting your meat and doing the high meat thing, you know, teach their own. You want to do that. That's fine. Uh, maybe like just the bee's knees, but you know, I'm, I'm okay. I'm good where I'm at. I'm feeling great. <laughs> I don't think I need to do that. Um, but, uh, uh, with the fermented dairy, uh, yeah, that, that can be very different. And, you know, and the bacteria and things like that will eat up, you know, the lactose or at least a lot of the lactose. And so if you're doing that in a traditional manner, uh, it's very different. The, um, you know, the, the Mongols traditionally would, would drink fermented mare's milk or, or uh, use fermented mare's milk products. And, um, and you would think that because they, they use a lot of, you know, cow dairy or sorry, horse dairy, um, and then we just eat meat as well and drink the blood that, uh, they probably be pretty used to lactose and things like that. No, they are not. They are some of the, the mo- most lactose intolerant populations in the world. Uh, almost all of them are, are lactose intolerant, if not all of them. And so, uh, it's because it's all fermented. They do not come across lactose. They're always coming. It's always fermented. And, you know, they've been doing that for a very, very long time. Now, is that the best thing that they could ever do? I don't think so. I think if you're getting, if you're able to get enough fatty meat, then that's obviously the ideal. But, um, uh, you know, I do think that, yeah, fermented, fermented dairy is definitely in a different category than, than unfermented and 
um, like milk and things like that. Yeah, yeah, that's a brilliant just, to, just to sort of, sorry, Sam, just to touch base on one of the things you mentioned about the meat. Is, um, you know, is that there would be an argument to go against aged meat because of the increase in oxidation and an increase in mm-hmm. in, uh, in uh, linoleic acid content, isn't it? So, uh, aged meats, I don't believe, um, you know, are as good for you as fresh. I think fresh is best. Um, that's why I consume all of my meat fresh. Um, yeah, the oxidation of the meat can, can, can cause issues, I guess, in, in the same way. Um, so I'm not a fan of aged meat. So I thought I'd uh, put that in there. You get, more, you get more histamine, of course, when it's aged. More histamine, for sure, yeah. 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 Just going to put another question up. Um, here we go. So just for the people watching who have submitted questions, um, the deal here is we've got 24 hours, okay? So um, we'll get round to it. And and Dr. Anthony Chafee has given us three hours of his time. Uh, you know, um, behind the scenes, if you don't know how this works, no money changes hands. We're all doing this because we want to do this, all right? So um, if we don't get to your question, we'll um, – I mean, I'll collate them. I'll send them to – to Anthony and um, maybe we'll just do another one just to, like a catch up believe it or not 24 hour plus or something we'll call yeah. it. Um, <laughs> um, but I thought that uh, when the questions were literally flooding in which is really nice for you guys out there that have done that I thought we really are not going to have enough time uh, really so let, here we go so Peter's put six weeks on strict carnivore suddenly inflammation markers right up and blood's low RBC etc etc thoughts great question probably would need a little bit more information there on inflammation markers. Uh, how long have you been not eating carnivore? Because six weeks, yeah, you're going to see some changes. But anyway, that's for uh, Dr. Chafee. Any thoughts? Well, also, also, which inflammatory markers, you know, because there's some that, that are, you know, like, I mean, you know, high sensitivity, you know, CRP, and that goes up. Okay, well, that, that's high sensitivity sensitivity is right in the name but you know there's other other inflammatory markers uh you know such as you know platelets or your ferritin levels and, and different sorts of things that you can look at and that that can be indicative of increased inflammation you know there's nothing on a carnivore that's going to increase your inflammation but there are other things that, that maybe it can increase and we would generally associate them with increased inflammation that are not in, increased inflammation um if your high high sensitivity crp is going up Okay, maybe you need to look around at what, at what you're doing and, and what you're putting in your body. Uh, you know, are you using seed oils? Are you cooking your steak in olive oil? Are you um, have you gotten rid of you know stevia and and erythritol and, and monk fruit sugar and things like that? Um, you know, those sorts of things matter. You know, and, um, and and they will they will cause a problem. So, you know, there's there's nothing in meat that will increase your your um, you know, nothing in meat that will increase your inflammation inherently. So if, if your inflammatory markers are indeed going up and there's something else going on, you need to identify that and eliminate that. Now, it could be as, as simple as uh, you respond really poorly to uh, the linoleic acid in pork. You know, all these things are fed with just soy and, and processed, you know, oils and things like that as well. And that gets into their fat. And then we eat them and we eat that fat and we get that seed oil direct from the animal, right? So that's um, that's a problem as well. That's why, you know, you know some people have a, a serious reaction to pork, chicken, and certainly farmed fish, dairy, uh, and eggs, you know, because they're, they're, the animals are being fed things that they shouldn't be fed. And so you can, you know, and, and omega-6s are, are quite pro-inflammatory. And so if you are eating a lot of those uh, high linoleic acid meats because they're being fed garbage then um that can that can do that you know it it's it would be weird that you know you'd go from like a standard if we just assume you're on a standard american diet which is very pro-inflammatory and you cut off all that crap and all you're having now is a bit of linoleic acid that's in pork it still should be a disparity it should be still going in the right direction so i would think that there's yeah need more information and um, I would I would wonder if you're if you're not being perfectly strict. Exactly what markers are we talking about? Exactly when did you get them checked? When did you check them again? Also, how did you get your blood test done? This changes. Your blood test will change. If you get your bloods taken five times over the course of the day, your bloods are going to be different five times during the day. Except for like your RBCs and hemoglobin and and things like that. That'll that'll remain pretty consistent. But uh, a lot of your inflammatory markers can change. Your cholesterol can certainly change. Your, your hormones will definitely change, and uh, and a lot of other things as well. Even your minerals. And so so what I tell my patients is that you need to take your blood test in a very consistent manner. You have to take it in the morning between 8 and 9 a.m. 
You have to be fasting from 9 p.m. the night before, only drinking water after that. You drink two glasses of water right when you wake up, at least an hour or two before you get your blood test. No more than four glasses of water um, you know, in that time as well. So you want the same fasting status, the same time of day, the same hydration status, and you want to be resting for a day or two before that. So for the day of the test and the day before the test, and maybe even the day before that, you should not be working out, not going to the gym, not going on a run, not having sex. All of these things will affect your, your blood results. And so you just need to keep a consistent pattern to all of this and you will get you will get more consistent results that you can test. And you know, at the end of the day, a test is only as good as a retest. So you have some you know weird markers on your on your blood test now. Okay. Keep doing what you're doing, see how you feel. If you're feeling good, great. In a few weeks' time, get another blood test and and see where you're at and uh, and see if you need to make an adjustment. And if you are eating anything except meat, uh, you know, red meat and water, go to red meat and water and see what that does for you. I think with the, with the, um, lobotomy hat on, as I'm a qualified phlebotomy staff, I've seen thousands of bloods. And when you go carnivore, some things do go up anyway, like the blood urea mm. nitrogen, because you're eating more protein. So, uh, you'll get a red flag for your buns reading, um, because you're just basically producing more nitrogen waste from the protein synthesis. Um, and there are other things as well. When you've got a reference range, that is a normative range. It doesn't mean it's optimal. For instance, Anthony just mentioned the high-sensitivity CRP. The range is is very minimal, and uh, you need some context here because I've had people really panicked because their CRP is 5, where I've seen CRPs of 80 and also hundreds and even thousands. So um, you've got to understand that – they're very dynamic, as, as as Anthony just said, but there's also a lot of nuance to it. And I think um, the hydration status and also test for kidney function tests, the cystatin C is a much better test than the estimated glomerulus filtration rate, for instance. So there's lots of things you can do with your bloods, but it's, it's probably better to get someone who understands bloods in the context of low-carb, keto, or carnivore, because there is yeah. some nuance to that as well, which I think, you know, is underestimated. I was just going to say as well, you know, if, if your inflammatory markers are up, you know, sure, fine. Okay, we covered that. But then blood's being low, like your RBCs are going down. So if your RBCs have gone down in six weeks, that's not from carnivore. Like you could be bleeding somewhere, you know, or having like, a, um, you know, or, or having, you know, if you have, the, you know, the MTHFR gene, um, you know, that that's, you're not going to process folate, you know, as well. You could, you know, get some uh, form of, of anemia from that. Um Check your folate, right? Yeah, and presentation of symptoms there, Anthony, as well. You, yeah. you said about being anemic. If you're looking at yourself mm. and you've got perfect blood, but you know, don't don't think the bloods are telling you the story because yeah, you always question how you're feeling. I mean, presentation of symptoms actually is a big deal for you know when I was doing bloods ever such a lot. Um, you know, people would say I've got low folate, and then you'd look at, well, is there any clinical presentation here? Yeah, and you just have to go through. Well, you're not got bleeding, gl- bleeding glum- gums. It's difficult for you to say eight o'clock in the morning. Uh, you know, it, all those other things. You have to look at the whole person, the context. Sorry, Richard. Yeah, you wanted. To yeah, you know, just just quick on. I think. Um, you know, it's easy to ignore external factors as well. You know, it's it's, it's quite easy to blame. Uh, you, you've begun a new lifestyle, uh, and you know these results are showing what they are. You you could be you you may have come down with some sort of virus or infection. There are lots of external factors going on. Um, so definitely, as, as uh, Dr. Chafee recommends, a retest is is super important. Um, a lot of clients that I work with will begin the journey. They'll have um, one negative. Uh, outcome from something and then it's to do with their change in diet yet they weren't willing to accept that every ill health in their life leading up to this point was to do with their diet it was always some some other factor you know Uh, but the second you change your diet and and something goes awry then it's because you've changed your diet there's lots of external factors involved as well um but this in my opinion is uh the healthiest way to live and and i'm sure that um you know you're going to see improvements should you stick to the lifestyle but good point on um on uh the sources of meats and linoleic acid and uh, are you consuming processed meats um yes processed meats are better than eating a lot of junk um but ideally we want to go with with fresh meats particularly red meat in my opinion uh Chicken and pork, as you say, um, should be uh, you know exercised lightly. 
Um, I do love pork and chicken, but uh, they're not a staple uh, for me on a daily basis. Red meat is what I eat every day with. <laughs> I've got a fabulous question. Just to finish the first hour, I think. This is from Andrea. Uh, What is your experience and guidance for a post-RNY gastric bypass patient that's carnivore? I'm 54, post-menopausal, carnivore 1.5 years, uh, 25 years plus post-op. Starting weight was 460. Wow, well done. And current is 165. Yeah, that's brilliant. Sorry, I, nice. I was reading ahead, guys. When you when I went, wow, I mean, that's, that's a ton of weight uh, at five foot eight. It's very hard to get nutrients in unless you eat three to five times a day. Does that tank blood sugar and fat burning? Great question, Andrea. Um, well, you know, it, and, and sorry, this is in the context of gastric bypass sort of thing. Yeah, um, yeah. So yeah. I think because when you've had a bypass, yeah. your stomach volume yeah. is, is smaller. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I just, just want to make sure I heard that right. So, um, uh, yeah. So it, uh, that's fine. You eat five times a day. That's fine. You know, if you're eating, if you're eating uh, meat, then, then that's okay. That's not, a, that's not a problem. Um, you're going to need to do that, right? Because you, you're going to need to eat a different amount of, of meat, then your body's going to allow you to do by sheer you know, lack of vol- volume available. Uh, another thing you can do is don't drink water during the meal or two hours before the meal. You want every square inch of uh, space in there uh, to be for food. And for, for fatty meat in particular, focus on fatty meat. That's going to have more nutrients uh, per vol- area of volume, right? So no water during or before the meal. So this is your stomach is empty and then you just fill it up with fatty meat, right? Let your body digest, you get on with your day and then, uh, and then you do it again and, and you may have to do that a few times and that's okay. You still need to get enough food. You still need, you know, it'd be, it would have been nice if, if, uh, we could have gotten to you before, uh, you had the surgery because, um, you know, you would have had very good results with that as well. And I think just as good, if not better, uh, with that. And, um, and then you would be able to, to eat to satiety and not have to, not have to, um, worry about it, but you're in the position you are now and that's okay. You know, you just, you just eat one when you're hungry until you're full. And, uh, if you have to eat more than once a day, that's fine. As long as you're eating the correct thing, which is meat. Yeah, I agree. And I think a lot of people within the keto carnal community get caught up in fasting, uh, which fasting mm-hmm. is fantastic. But what many don't realize is that being keto and carnivore will elicit the same responses uh, of autophagy, mitophagy, brown fat activation, lipolysis. Um, we will benefit. Uh, we'll receive the same benefits from just being in that ketogenic state uh, as well as, um, you know, compared to, to fasting for long periods of time. So as, as, as much as I'm a fan, fan of fasting, um, you know, these responses and these results can be achieved from purely being in that ketogenic state. So I wouldn't get too caught up with, with going too long without fasting. If you need to eat four or five times a day, um, then eat four or five times a day. Richard, you you caught me out there being brief. <laughs> <laughs> Not on the board. Um, <laughs> right. Uh, let's do a quick question then to take us to the first hour. Um, I found one here. Let's show this. Hi, all is hint water okay to drink on carnivore diet? Is that something in America? I've not heard of hint water. I don't know if that's a brand. Maybe that's a typo. Um, hint water. I don't know if, if that's a, if that's a brand, I haven't heard of it. If it's not a brand, I still haven't heard of it. Um, so I haven't heard okay. of it, but uh, yes, water's fine to drink on carnivore. Yeah. There's a good hint. There you go. Yeah. Right. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, just normal water. I mean, you shouldn't, shouldn't have anything sort of flavorings or any sort of crap like that. You know, it should, you know, if, if there's a bottle and has an ingredients list, it should say water. Right. And um, you know, and so that, that, that's pretty much it. Filtered water, I think, is best. There's a whole bunch of garbage that's in, in city water, and, and you do want to filter that out. Charcoal filters uh, get most stuff out. Does not not going to get everything out. Um, you know, Some people do the reverse osmosis one. 
that's fine. The the distillation ones actually uh, work just as well um, and uh, are much cheaper. So, um, but yeah, but the reverse osmosis ones are getting che- cheaper and cheaper as they go as well. But at least some some sort of filter, uh, unless you're out in the country and you're just drinking, you know, branch water, go for it. You know that that's yeah. the best you can do, really, as long as it's not contaminated with some sort of filth, atrazine, all that sort of weird things that like change the sex of frogs and things like that. Like, no, thank you. Um, see, so I think maybe sh- should we celebrate that we've done our first hour? But anyway, um, maybe I should add a bell or something. Ding, ding, ding. Rich, mate, 23 to go. All right. <laughs> so code is asked, uh, been carnival for over a year, lost 70 pounds congratulations on that feel great but been tracking blood sugar and ketones and my blood sugar will not with emphasis go below 100 unless i fast for multiple days ketones around 2.5 any comments guys personally i don't think that's an issue i mean what is i just google what is 100 in in uk i think that's for 5.6 it's just 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 at the the border of 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 normal yeah you wouldn't want to go above that so, I mean, to, to me, that's fine. It's more important that the ketone levels are 2.5. And not to forget that um, we create glucose ourselves through gluconeogenesis, which is something mm. Stephen and I covered recently with my um, continuous blood glucose monitor. Um, you know, we have the ability to create glucose as and when we need it. And uh, when I did a 10K run, uh, mine went from 3.8 up to 10.6 after 40 minutes of running, which is absolutely incredible. But um, personally, I don't know what your, your opinion is, Anthony. You're probably way more qualified in, in, in this than I am, but I, I think that's perfectly okay. Um, you know, ketone mm. levels 2.5. Uh, ideally, it'd be good to be lower, but I, don't, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't be concerned with that. Yeah, and, and I think... Oh, yeah, go for it. Yeah. Firstly, um, going back to blood tests, when are you taking it? Is it in the morning? Mm. Because obviously you've got the dawn effect. That's a possible. I know you're yeah. saying here you fast multiple days. If you fast for multiple days, your liver is still going to produce glucose. Um, it does that overnight. Gluconeogenesis is there. You may be someone that runs at 100. I'm sorry to say that. Uh, again, this is it. I'm a specialist practitioner in obesity and diabetes. Thousands of people. Uh, I've seen yeah. thousands of bloods. And 100, there are probably 90% of people I see first time would give their right arm for 100. You know, it isn't that high. Your ketones at 2.5 sort of show that your body's in a really good metabolic state, to be honest. Um, I would only worry about that if there were symptoms, if you're feeling dizzy, you're feeling anxious, uh, like you can't burn up energy, you can't sleep. Personally, if you've lost 70 pounds and you are feeling great and you've got 2.5 ketones there, I think you're doing all the right things. Personally, it could be stress. There's another thing that will push your blood glucose up. You And I know this sounds a strange thing to say. You, if you're stressing over it being 100, that could actually add to it. So mm-hmm. try and be relaxed when you take your bloods. Don't worry too much. Um, like I say, I don't think 100 is a particular issue of um, – yeah, honestly, about 80% of the people I've seen for the first time, if I said to them, you know, in six months, you're going to be 70 pounds down, you're going to have 2.5 ketones, and you're going to have 100. Will you take that now? They would all take that, I promise you. Um, so, yeah, and also look at your variation. And, and fasting multiple days is just showing your liver's working. It's making the glucose that you require. Don't forget you need uh, about 120 grams of glucose just to run your brain. If you're reading books, if you're very academic, your brain needs more energy. Uh, That's been proven. So it could be your activity, your mental activity is just demanding a little bit more glucose. So personally, I wouldn't worry about that. Do you want to do a question, Rich? I mean, I've got tons here from people that have uh, submitted. Well, I, was, I was just going to just hop in on that one as well. Yeah. Um, totally, totally agree with you know everything you guys said. Um, uh, also, also, you know, where are you coming from? You know, like you, like like Richard said, you know, it's like, are, are are you diabetic? Have you been on medication? Are you should you still be on your medication? Um, a lot of people will go on a carnivore diet, and they'll, um, you know, you've been on it for a year, so I mean, you should you should be pretty good at this point you know even if you were on medication a lot of people can come off their medication even insulin however you know some people may need to be on it a bit a bit longer so you know sometimes people prematurely come off their their diabetes medication uh, just because they're excited and they're like hey people are getting off their medication that means i can stop taking my medication well you know eventually maybe but um you know you need to do that in a in a graduated manner and you, and you can't just necessarily just come straight off of it maybe you still have a bit of a, a bit of a need it, it can take some people uh, 
uh, multiple years before they come off of uh, of their medications completely. Or um, you know, some people just have to stay on a little bit, and that that's okay too. But a hundred, uh, you know, level of a hundred is pretty good. Uh, you're definitely in ketosis because you're making ketones, right? And you're not dead. So um, if you're if you're fasting for multiple days and you still have blood sugar and you still have ketones, where are those coming from? Well, you're making them, right? And so you're in you're in the right metabolic state. And uh, so it doesn't it doesn't really matter, you know. Um, so your insulin is going to be nice and low, which is great. Um, you're uh, most likely, you know, because you're you're able to make all the blood sugar and ketones, and um, you know, yeah, and it can matter at different times of day. So you take multiple times a day, chill out, you know. If you're stressed out, that can that can raise that up as well. And and there's a lot of other factors as well. I at the end of the day, I just take it easy. If you were on medication, came off early, talk to your doctor. Maybe you need to be on those things uh, for a bit longer, and otherwise just relax, you know, and just just eat, eat and be happy. If you're feeling good, don't worry about it. If you're not feeling good, go and talk to a doctor. Thank you so much for listening to my podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. Your support means the absolute world to me. And if you're enjoying the show, I've got a small favor to ask you. I'd be incredibly grateful if you would consider becoming a supporter and make a small monthly donation. Your contribution will really help to improve the show. I'll be able to improve the software, maybe put a few more episodes out and do many things that I'm hoping to do in the future. Do them a lot quicker. So it's a small monthly contribution. You can cancel at any time and the link is in the show notes. Thanks very much for listening.